a couple weeks ago, I shared with you all the saga we've been going through with our friends at Amazon who sent us not one, but two air hockey tables with massive holes in them uh, from, from the delivery process. And, and that remind, people have asked me, are you okay uh, with Amazon? I'm like, it's a little frosty right now. We're on the verge of a divorce, but we might, be able to, we might be able to make it through. It just hurts because I had so much confidence in them from how they've treated me in the past. And now they're just trying to walk all over us. I, I just don't understand. A couple years ago, I got a dehumidifier, and I found a great deal on Amazon. So I got the dehumidifier off Amazon, looked over all the specs. It looked fantastic. Got the dehumidifier, delivered to my house, went and put it together. Uh, and, and then when I started to use it, I recognized it was missing a handle, which really wasn't that big of a deal because I was going to use a hose, but I still recognized, well, if I ever need to move this, it's missing a handle, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. And so I, I reached out to Amazon, and they said, well, you can either keep it, or you can send it back, or there's a third option. I said, okay, what's the third option? They said, we'll refund you some of the money, and then you can try to the the problem you can try to put a handle on there and and just go about it that way I said all right let's do that not because I was going to ever try to fix it because I got a discount sure why not absolutely I can bend down and carry a bucket of water sure I don't need the handle that's fine and so that's the option that I chose there were there were three options there either just take it as it is reject it completely or try to fix it and we have the same opportunity when we encounter culture. We have the, as people that love and follow Jesus, we have the same opportunity when we encounter the culture around us. We can accept it as it is, we can reject it, or we can try to redeem it. We can try to fix it. And historically, different people that, that love and follow Jesus have tried, to, have tried to approach culture and the world around them in a variety of, of those ways. Sometimes it's just, yeah, we'll accept it. We celebrate it. Other times it's rejected. No, we just push it away. And other times it's we try to take the good elements and then we try to redeem the elements that don't bring honor to God. And the reason that this matters to all of us is as we love and follow Jesus, we have been called to follow him first and foremost. The Bible puts it this way, that we are to be in the world but not of the world. That we, are, that we live here and we are to minister here, we are to encourage people here, we are to follow God here, but we recognize that with Jesus, when Jesus has saved us in the Holy Spirit within us, that we are called to live lives a little bit differently, and we are called to honor God with the lives and the choices that we make. And so how we respond to the world around us has huge implications, and it matters for us individually, and it matters for us as a church. It's not okay just to accept everything. It's certainly not okay just to reject everything. And we as people that love and follow Jesus, we need to know the times where we accept things. We need to know the times where we reject things. And we need to know the times where we are called to redeem things. And we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, as he's going around and sharing the hope of Jesus through the spread of the early church, did exactly that. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and that's where we'll be today as well. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once it's installed on your device, 
there are a number of great features within the Bible app. One of the features that we use every week is called events, and either enable your locations or just type in Lakeside Community Church Algoma, and you'll be able to follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. We'll be in Acts 17 in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and we're so glad that you're joining us. The verses will be available for you on the screen below as we continue to look at how God used his servants to spread the hope of Jesus across the world through the local church. Acts chapter 17 is where we are, and there we read these words starting in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So Acts chapter 17, we've seen what's been going on now really for the for really throughout the book of Acts. More of the emphasis now has been on Paul since the end of Acts chapter 12. Previous to that, more of the emphasis was on Peter, but we've seen a number of other people come into the fold as well. And the routine that we've seen over and over again is just this: that people have found the hope of Jesus, their lives are being transformed, they're sharing that hope of Jesus with other people. And here we see that that Paul is doing this now. And on three Sabbath days, he went and he he went. And he reasoned with people from the scriptures, pointing to them Jesus, showing them the prophecies of the Old Testament, showing how Christ was the fulfillment of what God had promised and what God said he was going to do. And it wasn't just, he didn't just hit them once with it. He sat there and reasoned with them for three Sabbath days, sat there and went over and over, answered their questions, helped reveal to them the truth that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And some of them, verse 4 says, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so some Jews responded to this message. Some Jews recognized that Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they put their faith and their trust in Christ. We also see that a number of people with a Greek background and a number of prominent women also followed the message of Christ, and they gave their lives to Jesus. This is exciting stuff. But as we've seen, as we've seen, there is this unseen realm, there is this spiritual battle that's going on between God and his desires and and the enemy, Satan, and and the fallen angels and and demons and, and It's not seen all the time, so we don't think about it that frequently, but there's always this unseen battle going on in a spiritual realm. And every time, every time that you're going to see success of people following Jesus, there's going to be opposition. It's not always revealed to us, but here it is. And then we get to verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason 
and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so here we're told what was going on. And the Jews, they see that the people are following after Jesus. They see that people are giving their lives to God. And all of a sudden, there is a threat. And the threat to them is not just the transformation of life, and we understand the spiritual battle, but there's another threat to them which is more pragmatic. And that's a threat to really their bottom line. It's a threat to their power. It's a threat in some situations to their wealth. And when people's power... And when their wealth and their prestige is attacked, people respond. And normally they don't respond well. Occasionally people respond well. Normally they don't respond well. And that's exactly the case that we see here. And so the Jews go and they search for Paul. They search for Silas. They go to Jason's house. They don't find him there. And so they... They bust into Jason's house. They drag him out, drag him before the city authorities. And notice what they say. That these men have turned the world upside down. That is a threat to their power. And what a compliment. What a compliment that these, these people have had so much influence because of the message of Jesus, that they have shared the hope of Christ with so many people that it's setting the world upside down. That is, praise God. And Jason, Jason, he's guilty because he welcomed them into his home. He received them. And you know what they're all doing? They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Now, to help us put this in our context, we have to understand why this matters so much. Caesar was the ultimate Roman power, and here he is in charge. And notice what they're saying. Notice the claims that they're levying against them. That ultimately, here is the gravest of problems. They're saying there is another king. And his name is Jesus. And if you think people don't like to have their positions challenged. When you add the government element into it, it's taken to a whole nother level. And now what they're claiming is Jesus is trying to overthrow the Roman government. That's the claim that's made. And so a mob attacks Jason. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. These are serious charges. Serious charges, but they have rights. And so they pay their money, essentially bail, and they are free to go. Now, what happens? Well, Luke tells us, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So I just want to pause here so we really understand exactly what's going on. There is trouble in Thessalonica. And all of a sudden, people that have given their lives to Christ, they recognize this is, this is getting messy. And so that night, the night that Jason bails himself out, they're like, we've got to get Paul and Silas. We've got to get them out of here. We've got to get them out of here. And so under the cover of darkness, they sneak them out of town and they send them to Berea. And notice what they do when they get to Berea. The exact same thing they did in Thessalonica, the exact same thing they have done before. And that is continue to proclaim the hope of Jesus. It has caused them trouble virtually everywhere they've gone. And they do not care. And what's different in Berea, you'll see, is that people responded well, because their hearts were in the right place. Luke lets us know that the people that they found in, in Berea, the Jewish people that they found in Berea, for them, their faith was more sincere. See, the synagogue in Thessalonica was just full of people going through the motions. It was full of religion. But once we get to Berea, we see that they're more noble people. That they're actively searching the scriptures. They have a heart. They have a heart to really connect with God. And as we saw last, uh, a couple weeks ago, it's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. And this is a challenge for us, for all of us. That, that many of us have grown up in some really fantastic environments. And maybe we were baptized as a baby. Maybe we went through a confirmation class. Maybe we've just been a regular church attender. And so we check off the boxes. And we feel pretty good about it. But at the core, we're religious people. And there's not much in way of relationship. And ultimately, what God has called all of us to is a personal relationship with Him. And at its best, religion comes alongside and it aids us and it guides us and it helps us develop that. That's why we exist as a church. We exist as a church to help people in their own spiritual journey, but we can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And what we see in Berea is there are a number of people where it's real and it's authentic and it's guided by, by a relationship and they desire to really understand and connect with God. It's not just people going through the motions and checking off boxes. Paul and Silas arrive in Berea, do the very same thing that they had done in Thessalonica, and the results are drastically different. Not because suddenly... Overnight, Paul and Silas were like, hey, we're going to change up our entire approach to ministry. Those messages we've been delivering, they were really bad, so let's change that up, and here's what we're... No. The reason it's radically different is because of the hearts of the people that they connected with. And there's the, the people are in a different place. And so we see drastically 
different results. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So the Jews from Thessalonica hear what's going on in Berea, and they're toxic people, so what do we know about toxic people? that they're going to try to destroy things. It's just what they do. And so they arrive at Berea, and they start to create drama because toxic people love drama. Remember that. Be very careful about who you associate with in business, in employment, in relationships. I know she might be fine or he looks so cute, but if they're toxic, you're not going to fix it. You're not. And you're signing up for a life of just wanting to bash your head against the wall. Because tox this is what toxic people do. They're like energized by, what can I destroy today? And here they are. And they arrive now at Berea, and Paul leaves. But Silas and Timothy remain there. And again, based on some Christian bestsellers, we'd be like, well, Paul, he's not that good of a Christian. He ducked out when times got hard. But that's Silas and Timothy. God really loves them, and they really love God. No. No, sometimes it's just wise to change scenery. And then Paul relocates, and he sends for Silas and Timothy to come join him. And what we see here is that ministry is furthered by a comprehensive plan. It's furthered by a comprehensive plan. There's a machine behind ministry. And I know sometimes people are like, oh, that can get kind of messy. Yeah, it can get kind of messy because you're dealing with people. And anytime you deal with people, things get messy. And I, I just want you to know, if you're new, newer to Lakeside, we are so glad that you're here. But if you are looking for a perfect church, we are not it. We're just not. And if that's what you're looking for, you are going to hate it here. You're going to hate it. And you know, the, you know the reason we're not a perfect church? It isn't because of me. It is. But it's because we have people here. And we're all imperfect. And we're all broken. And we're all a little messed up. Some are a lot messed up. I hope I'm a little messed up. But that's it. And so we work really hard as a team here. We work really hard on the machine aspects of ministry. And we hope we do so well that you seldom think about them. But I promise you, if, if you stick around Lakeside, and we hope you do, but if you stick around Lakeside, there's going to be times you're disappointed. There's going to be times you're like, oh, that could be better. And we, we agree. And that's the beauty of what happens when we all come together. 
as we all use the gifts and the talents that God has given us. If you're toxic, hey, thanks for joining us. There's the doors, and there's another number of great churches. We hope you'll find one of them, right? Because we welcome imperfect people. Toxicity, we're like, eh, we could do without that. Thanks so much. We're going to work really hard behind the scenes, and when we work best, what happens is that other imperfect people who are on their way in their spiritual journey come alongside and say, hey, I've got a passion to do this. I've got a gift to do this. I want to help out here. I want to get involved here. And it's not going to be perfect, but we're all going to do our best together because it's bigger than, it's bigger than Lakeside. It's the cause of Jesus. And there are times where ministries are great, and we're like, hey, that, that was fantastic, but we're going to have to pull the plug. And the reason we're going to have to pull the plug is because it wasn't as successful as it once was or because there are other things that we now have the opportunity to do. And we're not going to just do things here because we've done them. Paul and Silas and Timothy are having great results in Berea. But it's time for them to go. And so they go. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Paul arrives at Athens, and what happens? He notices that it's a city full of idols. It's a city full of idols. And what we see right off the bat is here he is, and he's observing the culture. That is his starting point. He's observing the culture so that he understands where people are coming from. And he continues to proclaim the message of Jesus. And the response of the crowd from some are, this guy just likes to hear him talk and hear himself talk. He thinks he's a really big deal. The response of others is more intrigue. Of he seems to be talking about a God, but a God that we don't understand. And so right here we see two very different results. One result is dismissive and another result is, is intrigued and questioning, unsure. Verses, verse 19 says, and they took him and brought him to the Ergopis saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And we see here, there's a desire. There's a desire to know more. To know more. They're not sure, they don't understand it, but they want to know more. So Paul, standing in the midst, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship 
as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So notice what Paul does here. He starts at the starting point of his audience. That's where he starts. He starts at a place that his audience would understand. He starts with their culture. He starts with a place where they are comfortable. He says, I've been walking around this city, and here's what I've recognized. Here's what, what I see about where you are. And he uses that as a gateway to to begin to proclaim again the hope of Jesus. And again, we as people that love and follow Jesus, we have three options with how we respond to culture. And one is to receive culture. Do we accept it? The second is to reject culture. And depending on your background and how you were raised, whether, you know, legalism or, or things had crept in, maybe some of you grew up in a, an environment like that, where if it wasn't Christian or didn't have Christian stamped on it, you weren't allowed to do it. And, and so it was just, oh, this isn't inherently Christian, so we reject it. Movies, not going to those. We reject it. Music, not inherently Christian. We reject it. Or, or maybe it was to, to a lesser degree. Maybe there were some restrictions of, okay, if it's G or PG, it's fine. Uh, if it's PG-13, I, I, I remember I, I grew up, it, it wasn't a super legalistic background that I personally grew up in, but I was exposed to, to a number of friends of mine who had some really very legalistic backgrounds. And I remember one of them was, wasn't allowed to see any movie that was rated R, which became an existential crisis for his, for his family when The Passion of the Christ came out. And it was like, all of a sudden, what are, what are we going to do now? I mean, nights, sleepless nights for them as they really wrestled through this. And, and here's the important thing for us to recognize, that what I see and what I accept in culture is probably going to be different than what you see and what you accept in culture. And what God has called us all to do is to follow our personal convictions. That the Spirit of God is at work within us, and so we are ultimately responsible to follow the convictions that the Spirit of God gives us. I have friends that were never allowed to dress up for Halloween. We're doing a fall fest in a couple weeks, so clearly that's not a conviction that, that I share. But it doesn't mean that their conviction is wrong and my conviction's right. We ultimately are all responsible to follow the convictions that the Spirit of God lays on our heart. But there is danger when we just accept everything and we all recognize the danger there. I mean, there's a reason that everybody ends up in therapy, and I'm not saying therapy's wrong. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Therapy is beneficial and it's valuable, but if following our heart and doing everything that our culture told us to constantly do was really a path to fulfillment, there'd be a lot less anxiety and a whole lot more happiness. And so we all recognize that it's wise not to just receive everything that culture throws our way, but it's also wise not just to reject everything that culture throws our way. Because what happens then is we just bury our heads in the sand. And we can't have relationships with people. 
We become those people that's like, oh, what, what, am I, what am I allowed to do here? What am I allowed to talk to you about? What, what are we doing? And this is really why it's important for those of us that love and follow Jesus to be, to be active in trying to redeem the culture. And for us to take the great elements of it. But for us to be honest about the flaws. For us to point out that, hey, if you, if you do all these things, it's not ultimately going to lead you to the path of fulfillment. And not just dismiss it entirely, but to accept the benefit of it and to recognize, no, there's good here, but ultimately this is where it falls short. He continues, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul tells them the story of God and intertwines the story of humanity. All from taking the starting point of where they were in their culture as they have idols and they have statues built to unknown gods. And Paul uses that as an opportunity to redeem the culture and to tell the culture, hey, you don't have to be uncertain. You don't have to be unsure any longer. There is a real God who is a personal God, who is the creator, who is not some distant deity, but longs for relationship with each and every one of you. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now Paul starts to introduce Jesus to them. And he lets them know, hey, you could be really good people, but ultimately you have a problem. And even you, if you're a really good person, you still need to repent. Because God's standard is perfection. And you don't measure up. And there's no way you can. But God still loves us in the midst of our rebellion, so much so that he sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and defeated death and rose again. And this is the proof of our hope, that God is living and he is alive. And this same God desires a relationship with every single one of us. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. 
But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and a woman named Damaris and the others with them. And so Paul gives this message. And what's the result? Well, Luke tells us. Some reject it. Some shake their head and say, resurrection from the dead? Okay. This is nothing new. We see this today. And yet some wanted to know more. And some followed Jesus. There will be people that reject our message. There will be people that just cannot fathom it, say I want no part of it. I'm not in. And that should never discourage us. That should never deter us. What we see here again is there's an entire element of people that will never follow Jesus. For whatever reason, whether because it's a threat to their power, as it was in Thessalonica, whether it's a threat to their position, whether it's a threat to their prestige, whether it's a threat to their wealth, you name it. Whether it's People that can't fathom it, like we see here. There will be people that reject the message of Jesus. And what we as individuals and as a church must do is just be undeterred. Yes, that our heart would be that all would welcome the hope of Jesus. But we recognize there's going to be no's. And we just have to have the mentality like we work in sales. You're going to hear no an awful lot. But if a salesman went home because they were told no and never tried to sell a product again, they'd need to find a new line of work. And what God has called us to do as people that love and follow him is just to proclaim the hope of Jesus and not to be obnoxious about it. Just keep proclaiming that message. And there will be those that shake our, their head at us. There will be those that dismiss us. There will be those that just say no. There will be those that want to learn more. And there will be those that come to the place where they recognize, I need that. I need that in my life. That's what we've been called to do. And we can leverage culture as a great starting point. And we have to be careful in our lives about how we respond because there are times, yes, we should just accept it. There are times we should reject it. There's an awful lot of times that we need to work on redeeming it. Not burying our heads in the sand. Appreciating its benefits but also being honest about its flaws and using that as a gateway to proclaim 
the hope of Jesus. God, I pray that you would use us to proclaim your hope. I pray that we would just continue to lift high the name of Jesus. When people are excited and they respond well, that we would be eager to proclaim the name of Jesus. And when people are confused, that we would be eager to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. And when people reject our message, that we would continue to be eager to proclaim the name of Jesus. God, I I pray that we would be people that as we follow you, we would be serious about the fact that we're not just checking off a box. That this isn't just some religious exercise. That ultimately your desire and what you've called us to is a personal relationship with a God who is near. And who loves us. God, I pray that will transform the way that we live and approach each day. And that will change us for the better. Be honored and glorified, we ask. In your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen.